211's Baseball Talk is back for the new season. Today we'll talk all about the new format that we've got going on, the Blue Jays-Yankees series, the Blue Jays-Rangers series, Shohei Otani, and other storylines from around the league. Stay tuned. 211's Baseball Talk begins right after this. Balanced by Infinite walking you into episode 64 of 211's Baseball Talk. It's a pleasure to have you along with us. My name is Dylan Baker. Joining me today on the podcast for the first time in a very long time. I don't, I don't actually recall the last time you were on one of these shows. My dad, Chris Baker, is with us today. How are you? I'm good, Dylan, and I don't recall the last time, but that's part of my age. Uh, I am sure it has been months, if not even a year by now. Uh, but I am thrilled to be back with you. I mean, all these Scott MacArthur's and Harry Muir's and, you know, all these folks, I don't know who they are, but, uh, <laughs> I am happy to be back and, uh, ready to, to podcast with you, my son. Yes. I'm excited to, to have you back. It's always fun to have a consistent co-host. And I think the last time was probably before the 2019 playoffs. That might've been the last time that you were uh, on one of these podcasts talking to me. And so we're excited to have you back. Now there have been a lot of breaks in our podcasting. There have been times where we've had no podcasts come out, but the season is back. We've got a lot more to talk about and we hope that we'll be There's some kind of virus going around. (laughs) Yeah. Some kind of virus has been going on for the past, (laughs) you know, just, just a little while, year or so. Um, But uh, we're hoping to be back consistently now with the new season. And uh, as the show returns, we begin a new format. So to begin the season, at least we will be premiering new episodes after every second blue jays series that means we'll probably be around thursday or friday every week you will notice this one comes out after the texas rangers series and the next one is currently scheduled to be released following the series against the yankees in dunedin uh don't worry an upload schedule will be posted to on all social media accounts that you can keep track at home we've already got one out for the month of april we'll do it monthly we'll remind you after every episode when the next podcast is going to be any episode with a guest will hopefully be on our youtube channel which we're looking to get going next week um In the podcast, we'll have two separate sections because in case you haven't noticed, this is mainly a Blue Jays pod. Uh, We'll have the first half talking Jays and recapping the last two series, and the rest is talking about MLB as a whole. Another big change that we've got as a podcast, we've got a new logo. Thanks to the talented Kevin Hilsden, who is uh, also a producer at the Smitty and Mitty show. Beautiful. Uh, An awesome uh, logo. It's a fantastic logo. Uh, He's the producer of the Smitty and Mitty show, another London-based podcast. It looks awesome. Super thankful for that. What are your thoughts? What were your, what were your, what was your reaction when you saw this new logo that was created for us? Well, I was pretty shocked. I mean, I, I, not that I doubted anybody's talents here, but I thought that was, uh, you know, I didn't, you didn't even tell me that you were getting a new logo. And then when you showed it to me, I was like, wow, that is a really cool logo. So uh, that's pretty exciting. And the podcast, you know, it's funny to watch it as it's grown since it's the very first time when you were, what were you uh, 12 at the time? It felt like, but I'm sure you, yeah, it's uh, it's unbelievable when you think about how far it's come. Episode 64 now, but, uh, um, you know, and with episode 64, it's a fresh brand new logo and, and great job on that logo. That was I, it's just awesome. Yeah, it's a great logo. And uh, we thank everybody who's been with us for the ride so far. And we've got more episodes to come. With all that said, let's get into today's show. 
Opening day came our way last week, and man, did it feel good to have baseball back in April again. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu and Garrett Cole were the matchup on the mound, and while they didn't go deep into the game, they both put on solid performances. The Jays got the scoring started in that one with an RBI single from Lourdes Gurriel Jr., but the Yankees fought back with a two-run home run from Gary Sanchez. That lead didn't last very long as Teoscar Hernandez took a hanging Garrett Cole Cole slider, pardon me, deep to tie the game. After some tense bullpen innings in extras with the runner on second, Randall Grichuk drove home Jonathan Davis, the pinch runner, to give the Jays a 3-2 lead, which after a stellar performance from Julian Merriweather, held up to win the game. Corey Kluber versus Ross Stripling on the mound in game two. Both didn't last very long. The Yankees got the scoring started in the bottom of the second as DJ LeMahieu got an infield single to score Gio Urshela. On a Kevin Biggio strikeout, Marcus Simeon was on the move to second with Danny Jansen at third. An Aaron throw from Gary Sanchez allowed Jansen to score to tie the game. Bottom of the fourth, Gary Sanchez, the Kraken, hit his second home run in as many games. Yankees were up two to one at that point. After a strikeout and a walk, Stripling's afternoon was done. Tyler Chatwood came in and allowed an inherited runner to score on an Aaron Hicks single to give New York a two-run advantage. Marcus Simeon, he will be talked about in this episode for sure, hit his first Jays homer to begin the fifth and knock Kluber out of the game, but the Jays were still down 3-2. to two. In the bottom of the sixth with the bases loaded, Jay Bruce looped a single off of Tim Meza, scoring two and giving the Yankees a 5-2 to two lead. In the seventh, Marcus Semyon got an RBI grounded against Lucas Litke, but that's the extent of the scoring in that one. Jays lose 5-3. Rubber match on Sunday. Jays sent six-foot-seven sinker baller TJ Zoik to the mound to face the Yankees, who were led by Domingo Herman coming back from a domestic violence suspension. The scoring came early in this one as Vladdy Guerrero Jr. went deep in the second to give the Jays a 1-0 lead. Following a line drive, uh, line drive single and a wild pitch, a great at-bat from Randall Grichuk was capped off with a line drive home run to make it 3-0. Zoic pitched four scoreless, and Trent Thornton came in to pitch the fifth. After giving up a leadoff double and having a move to third and a flyout, a Brett Gardner ground out scored Clint Frazier to make it 3-1. to one. Both bullpens were solid as Michael King of the Yankees pitched a great six-inning scoreless in relief. While following uh, TJ Zoic and Trent Thornton, Ryan Barucki, David Phelps, and Jordan Romano, as well as guess who, Julian Merriweather, combined to pitch three and two-thirds scoreless in relief. Jays win that game 3-1. to one. So, in the first series, right away, you notice trim down Vladdy. If you didn't see him in the in the spring, what were your first impressions of Guerrero in that opening series? Well, I did see him in the spring, and I actually thought he he looked great back then. Uh, obviously, his spring numbers, despite what we say about spring numbers, were were fantastic. <laughs> I expected him to come into the season uh, performing, and he's done that, um, especially in that series. And uh, you know, I think. I, I hope this is a sign of things to come for Vladdy. I think he's due. There's no question about that. Um, again, especially with Vladdy, you can't take AAA numbers, spring numbers seriously. You really need to see him actually perform in the big leagues. But I, I mean, off to a good start. And how can you complain about where Vladdy is? And again, trimmed down. Uh, obviously, you know, this podcast being recorded after today's game, there was some horrific defense uh, we saw from him. He's got some work to do there. Uh, today's game for those listening against Texas, the uh, series finale there, um, that uh, that is a ball that is pickable by a, a, a eight U first baseman. So, um, you know, there's some work to be done there, but from an offensive standpoint, he sure is showing uh, some great things and I hope he continues that way. You know what, you mentioned the defense there and how he made that mistake on the infield in today's game against Texas, but he looked really good in that Yankees series and to begin the Rangers series at first base. There were some mistakes here and there, but for the most part, I think he did all right. 
Well, I think Joe Siddle said it best today in the broadcast. You know, he he certainly this is the, these are part of the growing pains we're all going to have to deal with throughout the season. There's not going to be uh, perfection from Vladi, and nor should we expect it. I mean, he has changed positions literally just last year, and we're asking him to do it at the major league level. I don't like when it comes to defense. I might make a comment or a joke about it, but I do believe that that is something that at the major league level is very very difficult to do. This is an elite player who is trying to change positions at an elite level and that is not easy to do so kudos to vladdy for doing that um again we don't want to lose games because of it that's my biggest concern but at the same time i don't think that was a game loser today it was just very stunning to see but (laughs) but other than that i mean the offense is there and i think as you said the defense was there in the yankee series we're just going to have some games where it looks like it did today Yeah, and the offense, besides Vladdy, was really stifled for the most part by Yankee pitching, so they needed to take advantage of a much weaker staff in Texas in the games ahead. Now, did they? We're about to find out. They headed down to the great state of Texas to face the Rangers and their full-capacity crowd at Globe Life Field in Arlington. Before we get into the series itself, thoughts on the full-capacity crowd? Well, I think it's ridiculous. I mean, mean, you know, listen, I don't don't 100% agree with all the procedures and things as you know that we've all gone through various uh stages and lockdowns and different things uh, but i do believe that there's some some sort of uh, accord we all have to follow here and 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 texas is clearly not doing it unmasked full capacity um obviously they didn't get quite to full capacity but they would have they would have allowed that if it was going to happen um and, and that's just that's just awful i mean if you're trying to you know we're all in the third wave here um, if you're trying to get rid of this wave, you know, just obey for now. I mean, once these vaccines get in everybody's arms, you know, we won't even have to worry about it. So why don't you just do the right thing, you know, go to 20% capacity like everyone else and, and get the vaccines and then open it up. I don't understand their logic there. Um, and I'll just hold my rest of my opinion on Texas uh, at that point. <laughs> Yeah, and so that 40,000 crowd that was uh, in Arlington for that game got to watch the Blue Jays beat up on the Rangers. So the Jays went with Steven Matz, who impressed during the spring against Mike Fulton-Navich, who was a bit of a reclamation project for the Rangers, having spent several seasons with the Braves, the last few where he posted poor numbers. Uh, The Rangers started their season in Kansas City, and they dropped the first two to the Royals 14-10, which was not, in fact, a Chiefs-Cowboys game, and 11-4. They did pick up a 7-3 win in the final game of that series. The first thing that hit you uh, was the fact that the stadium was jammed. Watching that game, I mean, immediately it just looked so out of place, even though we had been used to that for so many years uh, prior to 2020. A lot of maskless people, and it did not look very COVID safe. Didn't matter to the Blue Jays, though, as they worked Mike Fultonavich for 35 pitches in the first inning. Vlad Jr. was able to drive home Kevin Bijou to get the first run across. Top of the second with Randall Gritchick aboard. Marcus Simeon hit a no-doubter, his second home run as a Blue Jay, to make it three-zip. That was followed by Kevin Biggio, who went deep as well. Jays went back-to-back to make it 4-4, or 4 nothing. pardon me. Bottom of the fourth inning, Steven Matz, who had been cruising up to that point, ran into a bit of trouble. And MLB RBI leader Nate Lowe drove home Isaiah Kiner Falefa for the first Texas run. In the top of the sixth, though, Randall Gritchick <laughs> pass. Randall <laughs> Gritchick got that run back as his RBI single made it five to one. In the seventh, Teoscar Hernandez got aboard on a Charlie Culberson error that scored the sixth Jays run. Fast forward to the ninth, Rafael Dolis on to close it out. He gave up a run on a, blo- a Brock Holt double, but the Jays won six to two. 
big win there on the home in the home opener for Texas. Game two, Tanner Roark, the diesel engine himself on the bump against Dane Dunning. Things were looking good for the Jays Broken early on. Diesel engine. <laughs> Things were looking good for the Jays early on as Bo Bichette hit his first home run of the season, putting the Jays ahead. But in the bottom of the first, Tanner Roark allowed a two-run home run to Nate Lowe, giving Texas a two-to-one lead. Second inning, Roark decided one wasn't enough, so he allowed a solo shot to Ronald Guzman. Rangers up three to one. Third inning now, and Nate Lowe steps up to the plate with a man on and puts one out again to make it five to one. That was the end of the line for Roark. He gave up five. Bottom of the sixth, Jonah Heim took Tommy Malone deep to make it six to one. In the top of the seventh, a Taylor Hearn wild pitch scored a run. The uh, Randall Grichik singled home to, to score another to make it six to three. In the eighth, Bobochet went yard again to make it six to four. But in the bottom half of that inning, Brock Holt singled and scored Nick Solak to make it seven to four. And that's how the game ended. Roark struggled, but credit to Dane Dunning, who shut down the Blue Jays with a solid five inning, three hit, one run, six strikeout performance. In the finale this afternoon that was briefly mentioned earlier on, uh, the Blue Jays were shut down by Kyle Gibson and the Rangers. I mean, despite a good outing from Hyunjin Ryu, a Nick Solak home run and a Leody Tavares bloop single, that scored a run were difference makers. Marcus Semien had another good game with the bat with his third home run as a Blue Jay, but the offense was stifled by the Rangers staff in a two-to-one defeat. Before we get into the finale in the Blue Jays' offense, Steven Matz had a great start in that first game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he's really turned a corner. I like Steven Matz. Uh, I, obviously, I was very happy with seeing him do well in spring. But again, you know, my theory on spring numbers is not just my own. It's everybody's. Um, but I mean, spring numbers, you can't really count on them. But at the same time, he looked great. Uh, he's carried that at least into his first start of the season. I thought that was great. Yeah, Matt's looked really good. Six and a third, two hits, one run, one walk, nine strikeouts. He dominated out there on the mound and the offense was there behind him. Now, somebody who didn't dominate on the mound, Tanner Roark. I mean, <laughs> last year he allowed, uh, I believe it was 14 home runs and 11 starts. He allowed three more yesterday. He's got the most in, uh, he's allowed the most home runs in the big leagues since the beginning of the 2020 season. Roark is really, really struggling right now. And I mean, my question for you is when is enough enough with Tanner Roark? Enough is enough when one of the kids can come up. I think, you know, Anthony he's a is in Buffalo right now. He's in the, uh, he's at the alternate site. He's, he's being stretched out. I think he is stretched out. I don't understand why K hasn't been called up yet. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I think you, I think, you know, if you look at the Shapiro Atkins regime uh, and congratulations to them on being extended, I'm sure you're going to talk about that, but, um, but again, you know, and I, I totally agree with that extension by the way, but I will say, you know, in their regime, it has been about giving people a chance um, and it's early in the season. I know everybody hates the whole, it's early conversation. You know, we should be winning as many games as we can right off the hop, but I agree with that too. But at the same time, you know, they're, mo is to give each starter at least two or three starts but they won't be afraid to pull the trigger and dfa him and and see what happens from there if need be i mean there's a lot of depth uh you got nate pearson coming back eventually you've got anthony k as you said you've got uh um alec manoa you've got so many opportunities down there so much depth that, that Roark will not have a long leash. I know Blue Jays fans are frustrated uh, because, you know, he coughed up the farm uh, on in that game. I mean, it really wasn't a blowout, though, let's be honest. And, and you know, it just wasn't good. And he's not going to be good. He's never going to be good again. I think we all need to understand that. We need to have an offensive day when Roark's on the mound. It's just the, the, the bottom line. 
Um, but he'll hold you. He'll give you, you know, your five, six innings max, and he'll hold you to four or five runs. You need to have a six, seven run game to win those games. But I don't expect him, Dylan, to be there all season. I don't. I don't think any Blue Jays fan should. Uh, there's just too much depth coming, and uh, he's a placeholder at the moment. Yeah, and I understood the signing for, for last year. I mean, last season the Jays weren't really supposed to compete, and they only actually got into the playoffs thanks to the expanded playoffs. I mean, I got it last season. You know, the, you're giving the kids a chance. It's a guy to learn from, but on a two-year contract, I mean, this year the Jays wanted to compete. They signed George Springer. That's a definite sign that they wanted to compete this year. And with Tanner Roark on your roster, you're just not going to do that. And he allowed so many home runs. You mentioned that he's dependable, but he, he was knocked out, I think, in the third inning last night. So. No, and yeah, okay, he wasn't dependable in that game. But, he, you know, you're not going to have Roark out there all season long. You're just not. I don't think that the Blue Jays intended that. You get a year and a half out of that contract, you're happy. And that's about what they're going to get. They probably won't even get a year and a half, and I don't think they're going to care. I think when it comes down to it, it's going to be put one of the kids in that, that spot at some point very, very soon. And, you know, especially if he has a second or a third start like that, he's gone. I mean, they, they want to win this year. They've shown that sign that, as you said, they've signed Springer. Simeon's here only for a year, um, hopefully longer. He's performed very well, but um, you know, but really he's only signed for a year. They do intend to win this year. So I don't, I don't think Roark has as long a leash as, as most Blue Jays fan fear fans fear he does. Yeah, and I, I think it's 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 really too bad for Thomas Hatch and the Blue Jays that Hatch got injured in spring training because I truly believe that this rotation spot would have been Hatch's out of camp had he stayed healthy. Um, I think that he he proved himself last year. He's a guy who's calm, cool, collected. If he doesn't hurt his elbow, I think he gets that rotation spot, maybe in a piggyback type thing with Roark at least to start the season. Um, I'm, I'm upset because I'm a huge, huge Thomas Hatch fan. I think he's a phenomenal pitcher. I think he was a steal in the return for David Phelps. And I think he's going to pitch and Pete Walker said this as well. So don't just take my word for it. I think he's going to pitch some big games to the blue Jays in the future. Um, and I know you're probably about to make a hatch joke. Once I, once I allow you to speak again, um, <laughs> how do you know it, that I can see it forming in your head. Um, but, but yeah, I think Thomas Hatch is probably the guy that would have had this spot had he stayed healthy right now, though. I don't see a reason that you don't call up a guy like Anthony K to add to the piggybacking that Trent Thornton's doing with TJ Zoik, maybe give Roark three innings. And I know he hates that because he's the big diesel engine and it takes some time for him to get going, but he's always dependable to go deep in games, but he's not, he's not that guy anymore. No matter what he says, no matter what you think he is, he's not that guy anymore. And they need an Anthony K to be up here to, to eventually take his spot because this is not going to cut it if you're trying to win. But I think Tanner Roark, his, his time is his time in a Blue Jays uniform is starting to come to an end. Mike Petriello today was on Blue Jays Central, and he brought up a great point that his, his curveball is actually better than it's really ever been. It's a really good curveball right now. The thing is, his other pitches are horrendous, and they are getting beat up by hitters. Roark is going to have to completely change the way he pitches if he wants to succeed. Pete Walker is able to pull some miracles. We saw with Robbie Ray towards the end of the year. Uh, we're seeing it now with Steven Matz, I think. Roark, he's not that good. Unfortunately, Pete Walker is not uh, good enough to, to change Tanner Roark. But I think it would have been Thomas Great. Hatch's spot had he, had he not been hurt in spring. And that's, that's really too bad for the Jays. 
I agree. And obviously your love for Thomas has hatched, but uh, <laughs> that, was, uh, that was bad. That was not good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and I think a lot of Blue Jays fans have uh, hatched their love for Thomas as well. But I think it wasn't good you know, the first time. wasn't any better the second time. <laughs> It'll, it's only going to get worse from here, Dylan. Welcome back. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, you know, I think I agree. I, I mean, uh, I've certainly hatched a good, strong opinion of Thomas. Uh, <laughs> it's a good thing. You know, we're on Zoom. Nobody listening to this can see your facial reactions, but I sure can, and it's glorious. Um, but uh, but Hatch is, uh, is a good pitcher. I, I, I agree with that. I think he probably deserved that spot more. Obviously, he couldn't because of injury. But, um, you know, but again, I, I, don't, I don't see Roark lasting much more than a few starts with the Blue Jays. Um, and then, you know, put on waivers, whatever's going to happen, DFA, um, and then put on waivers, obviously. Um, you know, hopefully that – I don't, I don't want to say hopefully that happens. It sounds mean <laughs> to the diesel engine. But, uh, but the reality is, you know, I, I don't foresee him as the fifth starter for very much longer. Yeah, and uh, I think you're you're a diesel engine uh, in your own right. You started off the podcast with no dad jokes, and slowly as we progress, they're getting uh, stronger and stronger as the podcast goes along. But I agree with you. And in Charlie Montoyo, he wouldn't commit today in his pregame press conference to Tanner Roark starting the game on Sunday against the Angels, which he's scheduled to. I'm sure he will. I'm sure that was just Charlie not being 100% sure on the pitching plan. I think Tanner Roark does start that, but I think you're right. I think two, three more starts max, and he is gone if he keeps up with these numbers moving on to Rowdy Telez. Telez has had some early season struggles with the bat. He has not been as disciplined at the plate. He's struggling. He has when he not been rowdy. Contact. He has not been rowdy. Um, <laughs> do you think, and I know it's really early and I know I shouldn't be overreacting. And I know that some, some analysts would be upset uh, by what I'm about to say. Do you think Rowdy Telez should be sent down to the alternate site to work on some stuff a little bit here, even if it's early in the season? No, no, I'm going to pull a Mike Wilner on you and tell you you're nuts, um, you know, because, you know, and I don't always agree with Mike, but I think in this case, you know, where you see Rowdy struggling, you know, people have early season struggles. What are we going to send Bo Bichette down to? Because he I mean, Bo Bichette's turned it on. He had a bad opening series, but he's had two home runs. He's got a double. He's he's been better. Yeah, no, and, and I think, yeah, and I think that Rowdy has the potential to be that way too. We've seen it at the end of last season. We've seen it uh, in other times in his short career so far. Um, you know, I I, th- I don't think you give him a ton of time because, again, this year is meant to win. This is not necessarily as much a development year as past years have been, although I do still see it as somewhat of a development year. But, um, you know, I don't think they give Rowdy a huge leash. But at the same time, I don't think you're, you're, you're not going to see him go down any sooner than May 1st. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think Rowdy, I mean, he's a, he's a good hitter, but last year he seemed to have some kind of magic where he was hitting balls the other way. He was making a lot of contact, and when he got a pitch he could, he could get a hold of, he did, and he, he sent it a long way. Where do, I, didn't, I don't see the same Rowdy Telez at the plate, but I agree with you, it is very early, and I think that give him some time, maybe at the end of April, maybe May 1st, you send him down if you think that you should. But then again, I mean, who are you going to call up, right, to replace him? You don't, the Jays have... Ghostbusters. <laughs> Jays have a lot of pitching depth. <laughs> a lot of guys that can step in and, and fill a starting pitching role or, or a, a long relief role in the bullpen. They don't necessarily have that with the bats that come to mind. I mean, 
I can't really think of anybody that would, that would be able to fill that void that Rowdy would leave just to, to work on some things in the minors. But I do agree with you. It's early finishing off our blue Jays portion of the show, two series ahead before our next podcast against the angels and the Yankees four game set against the halos. It will be Ross Stripling, TJ Zoic, um, Steven Matz and Tanner Roark in the Angels series scheduled to be Hyunjin Ryu, Ross Stripling, and TJ Zoic against the Yankees, just like it was in the first series. What are your predictions for the two sets upcoming? You know, I don't know. I think it's going to be a weird environment for all teams involved to be in a spring training minor league ballpark. Um, I, I, you know, I heard the Yankees writers and, and broadcasters were kind of making fun of that fact during spring training um, that they had to have come back to Florida and, and play in this ballpark. Uh, it won't be that same environment. I think it's going to be very different for everybody. Um, I don't know what to predict. I think this is one of the hardest home opening series to ever predict in Blue Jays history because uh, it's not a home opening series, if you ask me. It is a very extended spring training series i don't know what to think of this i mean i'd I'd personally rather than be in buffalo right now um i know that dunning seems to make sense at this point in time i don't know how i'm not even try to argue for it because I, i wouldn't but uh um but you know i mean all we can do is is say that you know the angels and i mean obviously the yankees are having a good start um and the Angels, to be honest, I haven't seen too much other than the Shohei they're performance. Having a, they're having a really good start as well. They've been off to a great start this season. We're going to talk about it in a little bit. Um, yeah, so yeah. they're going to be in tough. I mean, they're going to be in tough. It's going to be weird for everybody to be in a minor league ballpark, and I think it's anybody's game, really, in this this uh, opening series. I really do, because it's even if you're an elite team, it's a different environment to be in. The clubhouses are going to suck. Um, you know, the not for the, the Jays, entire, not with that player development complex, not in their new, yeah, not in their new uh digs, but you know, everything else is going to suck, it's going to feel like spring training, and um, and there's no way around it. And and so, I'm really curious to see how this homestand goes. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting, and and I think one of the reasons for that is the success that both the Angels and the Yankees are having, but now they have to come to a spring training park. It's obviously not the same environment, and the Yankees, they kind of know what to expect. They played in Dunedin a lot in a normal spring training, but especially this year where teams were congregated in one general area in Florida because of COVID. They didn't want to travel to too much. They kind of know what to expect. The Angels have never played there. The Angels play their spring training games out in Arizona, so it'll be a new thing for them. I know that the, the Angels have the day off today, um, a rare Wednesday day off for, for a baseball team. Uh, so they're probably already in Dunedin. I saw Mike Trout post that they were flying to Florida yesterday. Um, they started off really well. We'll get into that in a second. I think the Jays are able to, to at least split the series with the Angels and then hopefully take two out of three from the Yankees. But I would not be surprised if they do drop that set to New York We'll have to find out what happens. Like you said, it's unpredictable because we haven't really seen how Dunedin will play with regular season guys in there. A lot of spring training uh, players and and a lot of spring training has happened in Dunedin, but we don't know what kind of effect the stadium and and the clubhouse and stuff has on players in the regular season. Uh, Moving on to a broader look at the league, we'll focus in on Shoei Otani right now. If you didn't see the performance that Shoei Otani put on on Sunday or you didn't hear about it, you might be living under a rock. 
after a strong spring, both with the bat and on the mound, while also taking ABs during games he pitched in spring training, it was time for Otani's first outing of the spring. His Angels faced the White Sox on opening weekend, and after DHing in the first three games, he was penciled in once again in the two-hole, this time on the mound. It was the first time since 1976 that an American League team has willingly foregone the DH and the first time since 1903 that a pitcher has hit second in the order. Otani threw a pitch at 100 miles an hour, eventually touched 101, I believe, in the top of the first inning, then followed it up with a ball barreled with the sweetest sound possible for a home run in the bottom half at 115 miles per hour off the bat. So my question to you is, after that, after what we've seen from Otani, who looks to be healthy after a freak accident, a freak play at the uh, at home plate in that Sunday game, is Otani the most exciting player in baseball when he's healthy with all he can do? I think uh, he's very exciting. I mean, his next step will be to hit his own 100-mile-an-hour pitch, just somehow run to the plate as quickly <laughs> as possible and swing and hit it out of the park. I mean, really, what else could he do? I, I, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing to watch. It's, it was an amazing highlight to watch, uh, you know, and, and, you know, watching some of the Twitter reaction too was pretty funny. Um, just people that couldn't believe that, you know, he threw a hundred and hit a hundred, um, you know, that's, that's showing Otani. That's exactly how he came advertised. He just hasn't had a chance with injuries and everything to be that way. Um, Again, he's a little injury prone. Will we see this happen all season long? I don't know, but certainly exciting to see off the hop. Yeah, and I'm not really surprised that Joe Madden put him in the batting order to hit second because it's Joe Madden. I think he's the perfect manager for for Shohei Otani because he's willing to try new things and be a little freaky with that lineup, and that's what he did. I mean, Shohei Otani pitching and hitting in an American league game batting second in the order. I mean, that was just, it was exciting to, to, to tune into just because you didn't know what was going to happen. We had never seen that before in our lifetimes. I don't know about you. I wasn't alive in 1903. The last time a pitcher hit second in a batting batting order. So it was exciting to, to tune into fans were, were really wanting to watch Sunday night baseball and Shoy Otani is slated to pitch every single Sunday for the angels. That's the schedule. Joe Madden has him on to not tire out that arm is a two-way player, though, in today's game sustainable? I, I don't know if it's long-term. No, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. The Major League Baseball is just too tough. Um, but, I mean, get out of it what you can, right? And, and certainly he's a marketing machine. Unfortunately, it's with a team that most people aren't really interested in buying their merch. But, uh, yeah, I said merch. That's right, you. I said it. Uh, but uh, okay, merchandise for all people my age. But uh, you know, he uh, he's going to sell some merchandise. He's going to do some things. But I don't think, as you said, it's. I just don't think it's sustainable for long. Um, he's already shown the ability to break down in this type of role. Um, but boy, was that exciting to start off the season. Yeah, and uh, another exciting start to the season was the Angels team as a whole. I mean, they dropped the first game to the White Sox in that four-game opening series, won every game after that, and then split a two-game set with the Astros. So they're sitting at four and two right now. Um, they've they've come back in a lot of their games. Their pitching is still questionable. Do you think the Angels can contend this season? Yeah, absolutely. I think they can contend every season. I'm just proven wrong. Um, you know, <laughs> it's you know, and it's no different this year. They certainly have the lineup that should do it. They have somewhat the pitching that should do it 
Um, obviously, if Shohani stays, t- stays uh, Shohei Otani, sorry, Shohani, I combined his name. Um, he, uh, if he stays healthy, I think, you know, they have a real shot. Um, but you know what? I, uh, I, again, they've always proven me wrong. <laughs> and by mid-season, they're splurting with the 500 mark. Um, but I do think if there's any year that they have some sort of shot at this more than others, it's probably this one. Yeah. And I think the, the big thing this off season was for the angels to get pitching. Did they do that? I don't know. They got Alex Cobb from the Orioles. They got Rice Iglesias for that bullpen, which is huge. I don't know that their pitching is elite and at the level it needs to be to compete. No, it's not. But that no. offense is spectacular. I mean, David Fletcher, who is a perennial, perennial MVP candidate. That's a joke you won't understand, but our younger audience might. Um, Mike <laughs> Trout, who is the best player in baseball. It's not close. Anthony Rendon, who is arguably the best third baseman in the game. Shohei Otani, who can hit when he's healthy and on the field. I mean, Albert Pujols, who's in the last year of his contract, can still do it with the bat sometimes. It's definitely more inconsistent. Jared Walsh, that offense is stacked. It's going to be a question of whether the pitching can hold up. And to be honest, I hope it can because that team is exciting when they are good. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they can be exciting this year. It'll be interesting to watch them as they come into Dunedin. Yeah, we're excited to watch that series for sure. Other storylines from around the league. The Philadelphia Phillies have had a similar start. They swept the Atlanta Braves, who were favorites to win the NL East in their opening series. They then lost. uh, Then they beat the Mets, sorry, in, in game one of that series. Lost to them last night at the time of this recording rubber match goes today um are the phillies for real i mean they've got a front of the rotation starter in Aaron Nola. they've got a pretty good offense so same question that i asked you about the angels can the phils do it this year yeah they can they've got a manager that i think is very experienced in uh, girardi i think you know uh last year's bullpen problems were horrific but i i like i mean bullpens are exactly that you know every year <laughs> is different. You're never going to have the same year with your bullpen that you had the year before. You're just not. You can acquire an entirely different bullpen and still have a worse bullpen than you had last year. They, they tried to acquire an entirely different bullpen. I mean, they got Jose Alvarado from the Rays, who has electric stuff, can't always control it, and they got Archie Bradley, who's been a dependable reliever for several years. The Diamondbacks got traded to the Reds at the deadline last year, so they did make moves to address the bullpen needs, but I'll let you continue. Yeah, no, and I, I think that they did. And I think that, you know, the big thing is they didn't want a repeat of last year. Um, and they're not getting it. So far, they're not getting it. And that's great for them. And, and you know, there was nothing else really particularly wrong with that Phillies team last year. I mean, you know, maybe the offense didn't perform exactly the way they wanted. Combine that with the bullpen issues and you're, you're not looking too great. But I think that that was – both of those situations were fluky. The, the offense was never going to stay that bad. Um, and it wasn't even that bad. It was just not as – high up as they they would have thought um and when you combine that with a very you know epically and almost historically poor bullpen um you know you're not going anywhere but you're just not even even if they had the same bullpen as last year they weren't going to have a year that bad i don't think yeah i think they're a good team and i am hopeful that they can compete because they can be an exciting squad uh this year if they're if they are doing it on the field. Now, Nick Castellanos has gotten off to a great start this season, four home runs in five games. I believe the Reds had a series against the Cardinals this past weekend where they swept them. Nick Castellanos hit a home run, showboated a little bit, but that's, you know, it's part of the game. And then that's got today plunked. in the game. Yeah. Well, it's, it should have been part of the game to begin with, but you know, gentlemen's <laughs> agreements and unwritten rules. Um, he showboated a little bit, got hit by a pitch the Yeesh. next day. 
a wild pitch he scored on and then uh, celebrated in front of the face of the pitcher, causing benches to clear. After that game, he, he basically apologized to the media and, and to Yadier Molina and the Cardinals. He had a great quote, possibly quote of the year, although his teammate Amir Garrett might have one-upped it. Uh, he said, Molina could have punched me in the face. I still would have asked him for a signed jersey. Um, but Castellanos was suspended for two games. He's appealing the suspension. He was suspended for two games. Do you think that suspension is justified? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. They don't want to see that kind of stuff in the game, and I understand that. Um, but what kind of but stuff? I mean, he was celebrating, and it caused the benches to clear. I mean, I get they don't want the benches to clear, but he didn't really do anything wrong. No, I agree, and and I agree. I don't think he should have been, but – um, you know, I understand where the, the commissioner's office is coming from in the sense that they don't want to see, you know, celebrating is fine. And they just don't want to see the benches clear. And you're right. It's not his fault. The bench is cleared. So, you know, I guess I'm leaning back toward your side when I hear what you're saying, but um, you know, regardless, he was the reason that it caused the benches to clear. But again, I, uh, like I say, or like you said, sorry. Um, you know, is that a real good reason to be clear the benches? No, of course not. So really, should he have been punished for it? Probably not. Yeah, I, I hope that the, the suspension, I, I don't think it'll be. It was weird to see together. tensions that high in that kind of scenario. Like, I, mean, I know, just, it was opening I weekend. Mean, and what happened, you know, but. <laughs> it, it must have, well, I mean, Molina's a very defensive guy. He, he likes to stick up for his teammates. Not a very um, defensive catcher anymore. Yes, he is. He can still throw guys out. He's not where he used to be, but he's still a decent catcher behind the plate. Uh, my yeah, good friend Matt Hiscox will appreciate yeah. <laughs> Matt Hiscox will appreciate me sticking up for Molina there. Um, but I, I think Molina wanted to stand up for his for his pitcher, and then the Cardinals wanted to do the same. It was a mess. I hope the suspension gets reduced to at least one game. But I mean, the whole let the kids play thing. Unless you're Nick Castellanos, then you can't play and you get suspended yeah. for celebrating. But yeah, I don't get the suspension. We'll see what happens with it. Um, the All-Star game was scheduled to be in Atlanta this year. It was moved. Uh, they said they were moving it out of Atlanta uh, due to the voting laws that were passed there. Um, and it has since been announced that it has moved, been moved to Coors Field. That is exciting because it is a hot spot for home runs. Give me three guys you want to see in the Derby this year at Coors uh oh that's a that's a good question um does it really matter because they're all gonna hit dingers there <laughs> I mean, yeah but i think you could go with a vladdy who who dominated oh, for sure i would love to see vladdy return uh trout obviously and you know what i'd love to see otani go against trout That'd that would be, be awesome. fun i want to see Giancarlo stanton who put on a show back-to-back seasons a few years ago i would love to see him hitting cores and see what he could but do. i want to see merriweather pitch to him so i can see that face again <laughs> yeah well merriweather we, we didn't really talk about him a lot but he looked elite on opening weekend didn't pitch in the Texas series because the Jays never were never really in a high leverage situation for him. Him and Jordan Romano didn't get to pitch. Um, but you know, Merriweather was, was fantastic against the Yankees. And if he can be a high leverage arm for the blue Jays, that just adds to the depth of that bullpen. Yeah, absolutely. Oh no. I mean, I, I, you know, if he can keep this up, he's for sure the closer. I just don't know. I mean, we don't know. He's not injured. I mean, that's just his MO. Uh, I'm hoping not to put, put that out there, knock on wood. But, uh, you know, he uh, he certainly um, showed that he has that potential. I mean, anybody who could take 20 miles an hour off their fastball on the very next pitch, you know, is closer elite stuff. Um, you know, it, it's just Kenya. I mean, obviously his control was there. 
Um, he his delivery of that changeup looks like he's delivering a fastball. That's there. Um, you know, everything is there as long as he can stay there. Um, and right now, I don't know how you don't put him in a closing situation for the Jays. Absolutely. I think Merriweather is going to be a high leverage arm for the team down the road. I think Jordan Romano could still compete for that closers role. He looked a little shaky on opening day, but then looked very solid on Sunday afternoon. Other news, uh, Yermin Mercedes started the season eight for eight for the White Sox. Great story there. He's cooled down a little bit since, but still leads the league in batting average, I believe. The A's and Braves are struggling out of the gate. We'll see what happens there. And then finally, Ross Atkins got extended for five years following this one after Mark Shapiro got extended in January for five years, including this one. So uh, Shapiro is signed through 2025 and Atkins through 2026. What do you think of this move by, uh, by the Blue Jays ownership, by Rogers to, to keep these guys in the fold? I think you have to at this point. I think they proved themselves in this offseason. Had they done it any earlier, I would have questioned the move. But by the, by the fact that they were able to get Semyon and, of course, Springer um, and pull off Ryu last year and probably much more to come, uh, I don't see any reason you don't do this. I don't see any reason you don't make this move, despite certain people on Twitter calling them Shatkins and all this other stuff, which we all know they are not any longer. It's just people just love to hang on to their idiocy. Um, but, you know, it's, it's the reality is they, they had a plan. They told us what that plan was. A lot of the fans didn't agree with it, myself included at times, uh, but they stuck to it. That plan has been stuck to. There's nothing that's deviated from that plan. The farm system is still intact, um, even acquiring some of these players like Springer. Um, they stuck exactly to what they said they were going to do. And now as Blue Jays fans, you get to sort of live the fruits of that labor and, and, you know, how dare you even still call them Shatkins? I mean, that, like, to see that out there still is beyond asinine. It really is. It's beyond asinine. But, you know, this was the right move. They've, they stuck to their plan. They executed it. It worked. We're into the winning years now. Um, and, uh, and anybody who denies that just doesn't know baseball. Yeah, and I, I'm not going to hide it because it's out in the open. It's been recorded. There are podcasts where I rip on Mark Shapiro and more Me specifically. Too, Me and, too. And more specifically, Ross Atkins. Um, but, I mean, looking at the plan, and I will never doubt Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins again, because the way that they've turned this team that had a depleted farm system after those Anthopolis playoff runs, turned it into a, a contending team. They've got free agent acquisitions and they've still got a great prospect pool, which is among the top 10 in baseball for a lot of prospect ranking sites, the top five. That's incredible. And I'm super happy that there's going to be consistency in the organization. They're going to stick around for a while after the Jays bounced between a lot of different general managers in the early year in the two thousands. And then into 2015, when they finally hired Ross Atkins, I'm excited that they're, they're here to stay. I trust them. I believe in their plan. I'm not doubting them again. And I'm excited. Nope. They are and you know extended. what that elite, sorry to interrupt you, Dylan, but that elite performance place that they put up in Dunedin, um, that's not what it's called. Obviously, <laughs> that was a very old man way to say that. But I mean, the old regime doesn't even build that. They don't even yeah. build that. So, you know, that was a Mark Shapiro envisioned um, complex. He got the deal done with Dunedin. Um, he the stadium looks amazing. Um, the that complex is is world class. It's been compared to multiple sporting complexes that don't even have anything to do with baseball. Uh, around the world world he did a phenomenal job 
And you know what? I would have even doubted that. I would have said, put grass in the Rogers Center before you do that. Well, don't now. That that elite performance training center is awesome. And grass is not coming to the Rogers Center from the sounds of it. It looks like there's more likely a new stadium. But, um, you know, what a... You know, they've done it on the field. They've done it off the field. They've renovated Rogers Center. They've done that elite performance, as I said. They got the deal done with Dunedin for many years. They even kept the Vancouver Canadians, for God's sake, uh, as part of the, you know, minor league system. So um, to keep keep the Canadian content there. So even though you might say they're all Cleveland and, you know, they probably would have put that minor league team in Cleveland if they had the chance, um, you know, they didn't they had no intention of doing that. And they love that this team is a Canadian team that represents an entire country. Yeah. It's awesome to see. And I'm excited that they're here. It was, uh, I was hearing Trevor Plouffe talk about it not long ago. Dunedin went from being one of the laughing stocks of the league uh, as, as a spring training complex to being the best one by far. And it's not even remotely close um, that Dunedin uh, is the best training spring training complex in the bigs and one of the best complexes worldwide sports wise. So this concludes uh, episode 64, two elevens baseball talk. It was great to have you back. Well, thanks. It was awesome to be back Dylan. And you've grown up since I last saw you on the podcast, <laughs> but you're just still doing a phenomenal job. Well, thank you. So this is it for episode 64, two elevens baseball talk. We thank you all very much for tuning in. Next episode is on Thursday after the Blue Jays Yankees series before the Blue Jays Royals series. We'll talk to you then. Thank you very much for tuning in.